Well, I invite you, uh, as we participate in uh, looking at God's Word, and particularly with this Advent season, to uh, particularly focus on what God wants us to be prepared for and how we ought to prepare for it uh, through looking at the major themes of Christmas. And if you haven't uh, had an opportunity to pick up one of our Advent calendar or Advent, Advent readings, we encourage you to do so. There's some in the back, and if they're not in the back, we have some in the, uh, in the office. And it's a, a great opportunity individually and within a family uh, circle to um, read the passage and to uh, just reflect upon um, the reason for the season. But before we look in God's Word, let's look the Lord in prayer, and then uh, we'll venture into what God has for us this morning. Father, we thank you so much for just the privilege of being here, and we pray as we look at your Word that you might speak to us. Help, uh, help us to be discerning and emphasizing those truths that are most helpful for us this day. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was driving to church this morning, I was uh, turned on one of the Christian radio stations, and they were singing, what type of music do you think they were singing? Christmas music. And um, I don't know about you, but sometimes after a while, I get a little bit tired of Christmas music. 30 days of it is enough. But I, I do turn it on. I, 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 there is a joy in that celebration of Christmas, and there's many great themes there. But what was interesting as I was listening, the, the first one that came on was, was kind of, uh, kind of uh, it wasn't quite as, as theologically uh, nuanced as that hymn we sang uh, uh, earlier in the service. I, I looked it up in the hymn book. I don't know if you, if you were looking at the hymn book. That was, you know what century that was written in? The fourth century. Okay, the music was, uh, or was translated into our English language in the, uh, in the 1800s, and the music was put to it in 1913. Okay, so that was a traditional song, all right? Um, but the song that was being played on the radio was, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, this is the most wonderful time of the year. I was going to sing it to you, but I thought I'd, I'd spare it, all right? You know that, it's, a, it's, a, it's and then it's the hap happiest time of the, of the year. And it went on and on and on. It's, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap happiest time of the year. And it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the most hap happiest time of the year. And it was over and over and over. And after a while, I got sick of it, all right? Because it, it, I think it is a great season, but for many people, it's not the most wonderful time of the year. It's not the happiest time of the year. And, and some of it is because of uh, memories gone past and the even relatively distant past. But for some, it's because of what's happened this year. It's going to be the first Christmas without their father you know, or their son or their daughter. It, it's going to be the first Christmas in which... They recognize that it's going to be a pretty sparse Christmas. There's not going to be too many things around the tree. It's going to be a Christmas in which they're not going to be able to celebrate in good health, but health that's failing. It's a Christmas in which the memories are the relationships within the family not growing closer together, but they're more fractured. In fact, it's just a reminder that people don't want to gather together as a family. They, they want to have their own thing. And as you think about that, that, that's closer to how Advent season is illustrated, not only in history, but even as that event became kind of, again, a traditional way to approach the calendar year. And I, and I mentioned to you last, last time that I could begin each Sunday saying, well, Happy New Year. And you're saying, well, you're a little bit a month, or you're kind of a month early. Well, for the Christian calendar, Advent season, which begins um, actually four Sundays before the Christmas season. That's why often it happens, or Christmas Day happens in November. That this begins kind of that outline of God's major program because if, if it's all about Jesus as it relates to Christianity, then it really is illustrated and began at Christmas. 
But Advent has a variety of emotions in it. And Advent simply means coming, the coming of Jesus. And it's not all about it's a wonderful time of the year. It's not all about it being happy for everybody. And I mentioned last time, and we'll, we'll hit the lights. Remember we talked about it was dark. And, and rather than having lights everywhere, lights were turned off. Not necessarily physically, but they were, they were turned off. Can we turn the lights off, hit that, that uh, blackout? And if we were to begin every Christmas season with all this, you know, nothing on, except maybe the tree, you'd be saying, well, let's lighten it up in here. It's a little bit, you know, dark, and it's a little bit depressing and filled with despair because let's turn the lights on. But it was a dark time. For 400 years, there had not been a message from God. The prophets had grown silent because God didn't give them any messages. And so from Malachi to Matthew, there was nothing said and recorded for God giving a specific message to his people. And so there was darkness and, and there was no light. And you can raise the lights at this time. And so it, it isn't always, in our own experience and the experience of that people that were anticipating the long-promised one, that they were filled with joy and happiness. Many of their prayers were bouncing off heaven's ceiling they weren't hearing from god and even if you have done the readings this past week you recognize some people as they asked for god to do something he didn't say yes right now he said wait and, and so as we think about christmas christmas as we reflect upon it, and traditionally it's done this way with the four candles that represent the time before Christmas Eve, the advent of Jesus coming, they can celebrate a variety of things or it can cause us to remind ourselves about some of the events or people of Christmas. But most traditionally, the first candle is what's called a prophecy candle and it was a, a candle that was to reflect on the prophecies or the promises of God that were to be fulfilled. Not that had been fulfilled, but were to be fulfilled completely when that long-promised one was finally to come. And when something hasn't happened yet, or when things are not very much filled with wonder or happiness or joy, or when God seems to be silent to you, then the only thing that can keep you going is having some kind of hope that God who has been silent will speak. That your world that seems to be filled more with darkness, and their darkness wasn't just the light of the day. Some of you have lived in parts of the world that, you know, you don't get as much sunlight as we get in Orange County. You know, I, I have some family friends that are, are kind of living in the Oregon, Washington area, and they live in parts of the world where it rains all the time, and just, there seems to be just kind of a gray sky that they see all the time. That would be so difficult to live in after you've been so used to light, you know, and sun. But we're not talking about what looks like in a world, but what they were experiencing. They were in, under bondage, the bondage of, of oppression. They were enslaved, whether it was to the Greek Empire or whether it was to the Roman Empire. God wasn't showing up. And the only thing that kept them going was the hope, not wishful thinking, but the confident expectation that God would arrive and their future would be better. 
And of course, that's true whether it's in this life or the life to come, is that, that God promises us that our life will be better, million times better, when we see him face to face. So that's what Christmas is about. An expectation, an anticipation that God will be faithful to his prophecies and to his promises that life will get better. But there's a second candle that's written, that's written, that's lit uh, during this Advent season. And it's called the shepherd's candle. candle. The shepherd's candle speaks about uh, the one who is the, the hero of the 23rd Psalm. That the shepherd, the great shepherd, the shepherd who has promised that when we follow after him we shall not want. That in the midst of our enemies, he's there. That when we're around rushing waters, he quiets them is that there is one who is coming that not only leads his sheep, but he loves his sheep. And see, that's, that's the, the huge distinction between the God of the Bible, Jesus, as being who he claimed to be, that he came to love his people. And so Advent is a time of future hope, but also it's a time of knowing that God loves you. As I was thinking about that, reflecting on that in light of the darkness of that day and our day as well, and we don't have to, we don't have to imagine the darkness of evil in our world, do we? I mean, it seems like every week, more, it seems more, more often than, than, than times past, and maybe that's because we are so filled with information, we can hear about something happening instantly. But, you know, San Bernardino, when a terrorist act or whomever was the cause of that, you know, 14 people lost their lives, and 21 were injured. So we're not making up that there's evil in this world, there's darkness in this world. And Christmas is all about being a better plan than any political leader's plan. But God's plan is better because God's plan brings hope, and God's plan brings His love. But often when we think about that, and if some of you are getting nervous in terms of, this seems like a long introduction, I'm not going to get through my message, okay? So I'm, we're going to highlight everything's in, in there, but we're, we're not going to go with it in any, any depth. But, but, but what we're going to try to do is just focus again, very simply, how we ought to be remembering what Christmas is all about. It's about hope, but it's about love. It's interesting, um, my daughter was um, in the first service, and she and her fiancé, interesting enough, went to the Church of the Woods last Sunday. And if you've been aware of social media, has been putting a lot of things out about that as well. But one of the victims, we won't call them the victim, on Wednesday of this week, this past week, was in the Church of the Woods. They were worshiping with them. Her fiancé lives in Arrowhead. And this man, and I have his name here. I somehow forget it at the last moment. But um, he, uh, he was lighting the Advent candle for their church with five children. His wife was not there because she was at home with their little one, their baby. And he, he lit the candle about God being his source of hope. And then on Wednesday, he died. 
Now, how do we reconcile that with believing that, that God not only has our future settled, but even now he's showering his love to his people? And I'm sure for moments there were times when that little church and that family were saying, I, I know God loves me, but I'm not feeling his love at the moment. But, but God's love is there whether we're feeling it or not. That God's hand is upon his people, even when things horrifically happen to us or around us. And that was the only thing that kept those people in their Advent season, which lasted longer than the history of our country, 400 years, anticipating the promised one to come. But God's love shows up. At all times. And that's the message of Christmas. If you have your outlines this morning, let's, let's look at a few things as we try to understand God's love and, and really what it is. First of all, how would we define love? And this is not the most poetic definition I'm going to give you, but I think it kind of settles what, really what, what love is about. We can get really sentimental about love. Love is, you know, a, a beautiful morning. You know, you're walking in the in the meadows, and the, the sun is shining, the flowers are blooming, and everything seems right in the world. But, but in a broken world, love has to be more than that, because every morning is not like that. Well, what is love? L- love is, is seeking someone's highest good in what you do, why you do it, and how you do it. And see, that's what God does for us. In the, in the midst of everything wrong in our life, when when God would describe every person as not good but bad because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God reaches down and says, because I care about you, I'm going to seek that which is your good, your highest good, to be delivered from all that's wrong in your life, your sin, particularly the penalty of it. And because I care about you, I will send my son in a self-sacrificing way to pay the price that you deserve so that you could have a relationship with me. And in the six to seven billion people in this world, the, the mass majority of people in this world whom God loves every single person on this planet have rejected that offer of love. And just, I'm sure at times we've had people in our life that we've loved, but we haven't received that love in return. This is God on a global stage. And people can be loved by God but not have a relationship with God if they reject what he offers. And and that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus' name in itself means the one who came to save us from our sin. But he doesn't save everybody from their sin because they haven't entered into a relationship with him. Well, how does, how does God show love? And this is what we're going to look at, but we don't have time to go through all of them, so I'm going to give you the fill in the blanks for those of you who like to fill in the blanks, but, but we're going to just talk about a few of them. How does God show his love? And this one almost seems love light in a sense, but it, it kind of shows you the multicolors of light. God shows his love by bringing you laughter. Can you imagine living in a world where no one ever 
ever smiled or ever expressed joy to the point where they, they were just overwhelmed by laughter and were just, just expressed it. Well, well, God does that. And we're going to see this right in the story of Christmas. Secondly, God chose his love by making the biggest sacrifice. And, and that's what the communion table is all about. And we've just remembered that through the bread and the cup. But in the, in the story here that we're, we'll be looking at later on this week, and hopefully you're, you're reading through the, the, the Advent readings, is that God tested Abraham to understand fully what love is all about because love is only expressed when you have to give. And so when it came to the miracle of all miracles where, where their child was born to them, Isaac, God calls Isaac, calls Abraham to say, well, I want you to take your son, you know, your only son, the, the son you love, and I want you to take him up to the top of a hill, and I want you to put him on an altar, and I want him to be sacrificed on my behalf to show your love for me. Of course, Abraham obeyed God and and then God rescued Abraham from making that sacrifice. He says, no, no, because of my love, I'm going to make the sacrifice, not you. So God, seeking our highest good, did what we could not do for ourselves by sacrificing his son, his only son, the son whom he loved, Jesus. Secondly, thirdly, how does God show love? The Christmas story portrayed in this in terms of all the promised things that happened in the past. God shows his love by coming to us when we run from him. Have you ever had a kind of a connection with a person and, and, and you're trying to work it out and then all of a sudden, you know, you're seen to putting all the energy into the relationship and they don't put any energy in the relationship? Anybody been there? Am I the only one who lives in the real world out there? Okay, okay. <laughs> You know, you're, you're trying to make a connection. You're trying to be a good friend or a family member or whatever it might be. And, and, and it seems like you're putting all the efforts in. And the other person seems to be just doing whatever they want. Well, that was, that was Jacob. Jacob was chosen by God. He was placed in this unique family. And, and he wanted his own ways. And, and he was taking off. He was running from God. And God could have just said like we do, well, just if you want to run, you can run. Just take off. But God, God ran after Jacob. And that was the whole experience of Jacob's ladder where in a dream God reveals himself to him. And he finally realizes you, you really could not, should not ever run from God. And we need to understand God's love is, is understood in this way. That, that as you think about the problem. The problem is not that, that God is lost. Often people look at God that way. I can't find God. Where is he? Why doesn't he, make it, why doesn't he speak to me audibly? Why doesn't he somehow communicate to me like he did in the Bible where he, he shows up in a physical manifestation, whether it's the burning bush or whether it's Jesus himself or whatever it might be. Look, at God's not lost. We're lost. And it's God that's running after us. And it's our choice to, to respond to him or not. God shows his love when he seeks it, and then he's able to save that which is lost. That's illustrated in Jacob's life. Fourthly, God's love is shown 
but telling us what is good for us. And this is the example of Moses. Mo- Moses, uh, you know, was, uh, was, was no one who has ever, no one has been like Moses who was able to, to really have a face-to-face relationship with God on a continual basis. And the interesting thing is that God put him up on a mountain and he gave him, he gave him a, you know, some tablets. Remember those tablets? Where were they? they were the commandments of God. And Deuteronomy chapter 5, which we'll read this week, it, it speaks about some direct things that God wants for us to be and to do. Now let me ask you, do you like people telling you what to do? Anybody, anybody like that? I prefer to tell people what to do, you know, rather than be told what to do. But, you know, sometimes if you really understand it in terms of what real love is, love is, is that willingness to tell people what they don't want to hear at times. Why? Because it's good for them. Now, God's commandments were good on one level because it showed us that we couldn't measure up to his standard. It showed us our sin and our need for a Savior. But, but the commandments of God, is, it says in 1 John 5, are not burdensome, but they're for our own good. And what family has never discovered, at least healthy family, that you need to have both tender love and what's the other side of love? Tough love. You've got to tell people what's good for them, whether they, they like to hear it or want to hear it at all. So God's love is, is shown to us by telling us what is good for us. Fifthly, God's love is, is shown by protecting those who believe. In kind of hindsight, I probably would have phrased this a little bit different. I, I, it's, a, it's a true statement. This is the story of Rahab. And if you're not that versed on the Old Testament, Rahab was a, was a, was a, a lady with an interesting occupation. She was a, she was a harlot. She was a prostitute. She, she sold her body for, for money. And, and it's possible she, she, that was the only job she could get, and that was the only way she could provide for her family. We don't know what was the motivation for that, but she was a harlot. But in connection with God's people, it became a, a clear to her that, that they knew the true God. And they put, she put her faith in the true God. And in the midst of Jericho, coming down and, and everyone perishing. There was one who survived, and it was Rahab. And, and why, why, was, why, did, why was she protected? Because she had experienced the love of God and placed her trust in God. And whether you emphasize the, the protective hand of God to those whom he loved, or, or just realize that God loves people whom no one else loves. And if for whatever reason you're here this morning, you're thinking, well, wh- you know, why would God love me? I have, I have done so many things that would break his heart. And if, and if people in this room knew what I had done, they, 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 they wouldn't ever talk to me again. And God said, look, I love you. I look beyond your sin to see that your sin has been forgiven. I look at the heart. And don't, don't ever think that because you have committed certain types of sins that I cannot love you. He protects those who believe. He, 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 he goes to those whom no one else would go to. Sixthly, God shows his love by comforting the hurting. Ruth chapter 4, uh, verses, one, verses 15 through part of chapter 2 um, are, are really interesting ones, but it's, a, it's the experience of a, of a person who, 
who really had a relationship with God, but but now had become bitter. Uh, This is Naomi. Naomi said to him, do not call me Naomi. Uh, You know, I don't know about you, but I didn't pick my my first name. You know, my parents picked my first name. And and I actually like my first name, but... uh, I have four children, and I picked all four of the children. I mean, Alice kind of helped a little bit, but we had uh, four children. We, you know, we, we picked four children. And as far as I know, all the, the three boys liked the name we picked for her, for, for her, for him, for them. But my daughter, my only daughter, the daughter whom I love, she didn't like the name we gave her. Uh, we, we called her, oh, we called, we, her name is Cindy Ann. And for, for whatever reason, she thought Cindy sounded too... Um, I don't know, kind of, uh, we have Cindy's in our church, so I have to be careful how I say this, but she thought it was like too childish or too, not, 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 not majestic enough, not regal enough. She thought it was like kind of whatever. I forget what she told me. She, you know, she didn't like it for the longest time. If she could have changed her name, she would have. Now, that was just she didn't like the ring of it. Now she likes her name, so she's excited about her name. But but there were a period of time where she wasn't too excited about that. You know, we had called her Cindy Ann. Uh, Now, Naomi wanted her to change her name, not because she didn't like the sound of it or what what she thought the culture thought of it. She wanted to change her name because she didn't think it portrayed who she was. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitterness. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. And for some of you, you, you might be experiencing that type of Christmas this year, or you know some people like that, and you're saying, God Almighty, what are you doing? You know, I, I, I'm, I know I'm part of your family, but I didn't know I was going to get this kind of life. My life used to be full. I had, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it was full, and I was filled, filled with joy. I had a husband, and I had two sons, and now I've lost them all. Then again, she was very specific. Who did she put the blame on? She, she didn't put the blame on being in a foreign country. She didn't put a blame on certain choices they had made. She didn't put a blame on circumstances out of control. She put her blame on God Himself, and she was bitter. Just call me bitter. But you know what God did? He took this person who was hurting so bad, she wanted her name changed. And because of his great love, he comforted her and then actually provided for her where at the end of her life she was filled with hope and fullness again. She encountered the love of God through seeing God work in Ruth and Boaz. So how does God show love? He, he comforts those who are hurting. I was thinking as I was preaching this, we're focusing on the, the love of God. But, but you need to understand, too, that this is also the kind of love God wants us to have as well, doesn't he? He, he wants us to run to those who are running from us. He wants us to comfort those who are hurting. He wants us to protect those who are believing. He wants us to, 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 to care about people no one else wants to care about. He wants us to make big sacrifices. And then finally, number seven, God shows his love by, by having a plan for us even when we seem too young or too old. 
Now, that's the two extremes, okay? Uh, throughout life, you know, when you're, when you're younger, you can't wait till you get older, right? Remember that? I can't wait till I, you know, I can drive, or I can finish high school, or I, you know, I don't have to sit. Do you have these Christmases where, you know, there's too many people there, and you have the adult table, and then you have the children's table? Anybody experience that? Okay. You know, I can't wait till I get to the adult table, you know? Uh, whatever, whatever it might be, you just always feel you're too young. Okay? Then it, it seems like almost overnight you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm not too young. I'm too what? Old. old. What, what happened in that mid-period period of time? We always think we're too young or too old. And I think God understands that. And I want you to understand that God loves you whether you think you're too young or, or, or too old. You know, Jesus, remember he had to teach his disciples that? Look at suffer the children come unto me. If you can't become like a little child... I don't, have, I don't want to have any part of you. So he, he kind of hit them pretty hard on, the, on, on being a, uh, not being too young. And, and the idea here is that, look at verse, uh, 1 Samuel 16, 11. So Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Daniel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for he will not sit down until, we will not sit down until he comes here. That was Jesse. He God, the whole story there, we don't have time to tell the whole story, but, but God had announced to Samuel, you're going to pick the next king of Israel, and it was not only going to be the next king of Israel, but it was going to be the line by which the promise wanted to come. And so he went to Jesse's family, and he had these children, and the, the first lit, litter he brought to him were, were all older than David. David was the youngest of all the children. He, didn't even, he, didn't, he wasn't even sitting at the children's table. He was out there in the wilderness, you know, tending the flocks. But God chose the youngest to be used with him. But there's the other side of the coin as well. It is, I, I did, uh, many of you, you know, are, are familiar with Hap, Clarence, Stephen. Some of you are younger in the church. You didn't really know Hap. But uh, Hap was 97 when he died. And he died the, the Friday after Thanksgiving. And we did the graveside service. We'll, we'll have another service for him in a number of weeks. We don't know exactly when the family's going to put that together. But, but, you know, Hap did not die too late. See, some people, they stop living before they die. They, 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 they don't think that there's any purpose for them to continue to live. You know, Hap, not only had a Thanksgiving with his family, but he was in church the Sunday before he died. Some of you are just as faithful as happy. You're, you're even older than Hap, and you're in a place of worship today. But for us, Who are younger than anybody older? That remain faithful. That's a message to us. And obviously some uh, 
health-wise, cannot be in a public place of worship. But if they, if they hang on to be faithful to the Lord until they, the day they meet the Lord, that speaks volumes. And God loves you for that. Now, the, the so what this morning is Christmas is about a better hope that no matter what you're going through now, whether it's good times or bad times, it's going to get better. Christmas is all about realizing that God cares for you. God loves you. No matter what you're going through, whether you're feeling it or not. Remember that whole philosophical question, if, if a tree falls in, in a forest and no, no one hears it, does it make a noise? You ever heard that question? I mean, man, if it fell, I mean, no one hears it. it well, the answer to that, of course it makes a noise. It's just simply no one hears it. And God loves you whether you're hearing it or feeling it. And for those 400 years that were the advent, the, the time in preparation for Christmas, they were, they were not feeling God's love. They weren't hearing God's love. They weren't seeing God's love. But God was loving them. And God was the one who, who wanted to bring almost the silliest things in life. He wanted to, to bring them laughter in the midst and, and of sorrow. Today's reading is the story of Sarah um, finally having Isaac her child birthed to her at the age of 90 when Abraham was 100. And, and the one, and I have a passage in your outline. We don't have time now because I spent time doing other stuff. We have, we, have, we have an interesting object lesson for us that God wants to bring laughter into our life in the midst of, of whatever we experience. Abraham, and I think it's in Genesis 17, when, when God announced again to him that he was going to have a child with his, his wife, Sarah, he laughed. He said, oh, look, I'm 100 years of age. Sarah, in Genesis 18, overheard a conversation and talking again about that she was going to have a, a child at age 90, pass a childbearing. She laughed. In fact, when God overheard that and kind of confronted her, he says, no, I didn't laugh. Well, yeah, you laughed. I heard it, okay? And, and, then they had the, and then they had the child. And interesting, Isaac's name means he laughs. And God's greatest expression of love to, to Abraham and Isaac on a human level was that God gave them their child that they were so longing for them. And it brought laughter in their life. In fact, in Genesis chapter 21, which is the passage you'll read if you do the reading for today, it's Sarah saying, you know, when, when my friends found out I had a child, they laughed with me. This amazing thing that that comes from an act of God brings joy and laughter to my love, and I experience his love in such an immense way because of what he's done. I think there's application for us as well. I hope, hope all of us bring some laughter into people's lives around us. And, and we long for people's lives and spirits to be lifted up rather than put down because we want their highest good. Uh, Jimmy Valvano, uh, Jimmy V was known as a, as a great basketball coach. And 
he, uh, he had one of the greatest upsets in, in uh, NC2A basketball history. North Carolina, not North Carolina State. Uh, North Carolina State, not North Carolina. Went up against Houston, who had numbers of players that would become Hall of Famers in the NBA. And there was no way that North Carolina should win this game. Well, they won it. And uh, he'll always go down in kind of the NC2A coaching history as one of the Coach, one of the coaches that had one of the greatest upsets in all of basketball history. But really, that's not the legacy that he has left because what happened is that he contracted cancer. It's hard to tell the story. But he said this. He said, you know, cancer can take my, my body and ravish it, which it did, but it can't take my soul Then he said, if you can think, and if you can cry, and if you can laugh every day. You've lived a heck of a day. And if you can do it seven days a week, you can live a heck of a, a week. And if you can just multiply that in your life... You can live a heck of a life if you realize that life is going to be filled with thoughts and then you fill it with laughter and crying about things that are important. And see, that's what Christmas declares openly about why Jesus came to bring us hope and bring us a love beyond just an easy day, but a day in which things might be going well or not so well, but you know that God cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we, we are overwhelmed by the miracle of Christmas, the miracle that presents the hope that there is a life beyond this life. The miracle that, that our sins can be forgiven. That we can give, be given life that lasts forever but is also abundant. Not necessarily easy, but it's, it's filled with what life is really all about because we know our maker and our redeemer. Father, we pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way, they might open up their heart. And say, I want to receive the gift that's really given at Christmas. The gift of life and forgiveness of sin if we'll ask Jesus into our life. And put our trust in him and follow him. Help us to know you and to love you and to follow you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's stand this morning and, and sing unto